Well, here we are on the other side, and welcome to the first Radio Free Oz daily podcast for the year 2012, the great election year. The year of electal dysfunction, or erectal dysfunction, it's hard to tell. I don't know if anybody's going to be standing up by the time this year is over. The new Oz format, five of these Radio Free Oz podcasts a week, Monday through Friday, and we've gone to paper so that yours truly and the Oz team can get our gruel and coffee on a regular basis. That's a dime a day. Very kind of new depression thinking, don't you think? You know, a silver dime back then when John F. Rockefeller was handing them out was a lot of money. A dime today? I'd love you to go up to Radio Free Oz and blog and tell me what you can buy for a dime today besides Oz. All of Oz, because you become a charter Ozineer. It's $3 a month, and you get it all. You can go up and check the uh, free lunch button and get a taste of Oz if you're a newbie. Well, anyway, let's move on. Here's what it's like. 2012, will Biden and Clinton switch jobs? Robert Reich, one of my favorite guys, is the latest to predict, quote, based on absolutely no inside information. I love the man. The Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and Vice President Joe Biden swap jobs, giving President Obama a new running mate in 2012. This rumor has been going around for ever so long. Both of them adamantly deny it, which means there's probably some truth in it. Quote, why do I say this? Yes, Bob, why do you say this? Because Obama needs to stir the passions and enthusiasms of a Democratic base that's been disillusioned with his cave-ins to regressive Republicans. Yeah, they do. Whether that's totally true, ah, we'll get into that later. We have all year. Hillary Clinton on the ticket can do that. The deal would also make Clinton the obvious Democratic presidential candidate in 2016, offering the Democrats a shot at 12 or more years in the White House something the Republicans had with Ronald Reagan and the first George Bush, but which the Democrats haven't had since FDR. Twelve years gives the party in power a chance to reshape the Supreme Court as well as put an incredible stamp on America. Very true. Now, Hillary Clinton has been working her... (laughs) butt off as Secretary of State. She's doing a fabulous job, and it's just costing her tremendous amounts of energy, but she keeps her enthusiasm up. She says she's going to retire from public office at the end of 2012. I don't think so. She is a dedicated statesman. I have nothing but respect for her. I don't agree with all of her ideas, but hey, who does? She would make a fabulous vice presidential candidate. They would make a terrific team. They do get along well together. There's a lot of mutual respect. Joe Biden would be a good secretary of state. He could go out and truth tell and cuss with all the heads of state for the next four years. And who knows? He's a great guy. Anyway, that's a possibility. It certainly would revive the base. When we say, yes, we can, we would be the great not me and the great Hillary. And all the Hillary haters and all the Obama haters who are the same small group of sick wackos could get together and really uh, observe or plan or in some way uh, prepare for the Armageddon. Because you have the Whore of Babylon, you have the Kenyan socialist anti-communist, excuse me, the Kenyan socialist anti-colonialist, Maoist, Stalinist, it goes on from there. They would have a party. They'd be so busy seeing the end of the world, maybe they wouldn't even vote. That's best for the all of us. Okay, hey, 
Here's something. South Carolina, you know, the whitest state in America where for a long time white people were asked by their evangelical leaders to move to create the great Christian majority, has a proposed bill up before their legislature that would ban the mandatory cheery South Carolina greeting. Let's take a look at this. Two South Carolina legislatures say state employees shouldn't have to answer the phone with Governor Nikki Haley's mandated cheery greeting unless it's truly a great day in South Carolina. Democratic State Reps John King and Wendell Gillard have filed legislation saying no agency can can force its employees to answer the phone with it's a great day in South Carolina as long as state employment is 5% or higher. I guess it's not such a great day if there's that much unemployment. Their bill would also prohibit requiring the greeting as long as all South Carolinians don't have health insurance. At a September meeting, Haley ordered her cabinet agencies to embrace the greeting, saying it could help change the mood of state government. A Haley spokesman says the Republican governor stands by the greeting. Well, that's the way to solve our problems. Yes, we're going down the dumper, but as we go, we can be heard saying, Have a nice day in America! We all know there's a special kind of woman who likes the smell of crud light on a real man's breath. But some fillies want a little more. That's why we're introducing Crud Light Smoky Slim. It's got the same denatured natural taste of Crud Light with a hint of stale ciggies and almost digested Slim Jims. Now you've got the breath that'll turn on that blog with the bottle slumped next to you at the bar. Give her a poke and party on, partner, till the Crud Light runs out or your liver shuts down. Crud Light is an unregulated dye product of Alzheimer's Brewery, Rehab, Colorado. What are the challenges of 2012? How can they be solved and resolved if we're not involved? This screed I'm about to offer you will also be posted up on Radio Free Oz. I have identified what I think are the top three problems, of course. There are many more. Number one, jump-starting this stalled economy. Not an easy task, because just as recessions are slow to arrive, they are equally slow to depart. Had we been dealing with the rapid decline of the economy in 2008 when the bottom fell out with a $2 trillion write-off from the mortgage crisis, we might be a hell of a lot closer to a solution. $2 trillion suddenly disappeared off the world's balance sheets, literally overnight. We were in the home stretch of the 2008 election, and the clueless, lame-duck Bush administration was doing very little about it, except for bailing out their super-rich cash cows and other assorted criminals in the financial community. Remember when John McCain suspended his campaign to fly into Washington and solve the crisis like some pathetic Mighty Mouse? In the end, we bailed out the too-big-to-fail boys who had failed us and let the too-small-to-count crowd, meaning us, twist slowly, slowly in the wind. We'll never know if we needed TARP to save the day because there just wasn't time for any rational discussions, what with all those major investment houses, banks, and insurance companies facing the imminent ruin they so bloody well deserved. Left, right, and center in the Congress ponied up to the bar and donated to the billionaire's relief fund. And when the gold dust settled, there was nothing left for the little guy. And I'm not talking about the leprechauns. Flash forward three years, and not a whole hell of a lot has been done. 
Many of us thought that Obama was FDR redux and would New Deal us out of this disaster, part of the self-delusion that swept him into office. But not even the great yes-we-can man could cleanse the foul cesspool left behind by eight years of Bush fascism. The combination of a wrecked economy, deteriorating infrastructure, failed foreign policy, and bloated parasitic military, industrial, and so-called intelligence cabal was too much for any one chief executive to fix, no matter how energized and dedicated the new blood he brought to Washington. And the arrival of the likes of Hank Paulson, whom we now learn was busy slipping insider info to his hedge fund cronies, and the morally porcine Larry Summers doomed us from the start. And the prospect of the 2012 Congress gives us little joy. It looks to be a sad replay of 2011 when 24-7 gridlock strangled any chance of progress and reform. It's all well and good and fondly to be wished that the teabagging GOP will be punished at the voting booths for their abject and cruel dereliction of duty. But even a one-party Congress and Obama back in the White House isn't going to make the learning curve any less steep. Furthermore, count on the Republicans to throw sand in the gears at every opportunity, faithfully serving their mega-rich masters. Challenge number two, getting the hell out of Afghanistan. Make no mistake, it's Obama's war now. He hasn't shown any inclination to pursue a real exit strategy that would release us from this impossible and immensely costly charade of night raids and nation-building. Obama and his pals Panetta and Petraeus seem content with staunching the flow of American blood by sending in the drones, those noble robots joysticked by Red Bull chugging grunts in some Nevada icebox. Wedding parties, families in vans, suspicious blogs on some hungover non-coms monitor... Drone them all. Let Allah sort them out. And what are we going to do with Pakistan? Now that Osama sleeps with the fishes, are they worth the effort in the treasure? Except for a few atom bombs, there's not much geopolitical value in that rump of India turned radical Islamic republic. Of course, if we intend to stay in Afghanistan forever, then we're going to have to continue to weather their treachery and greed. Such are the fortunes of empire. And challenge number three. Stop the dumbing down of America. The right mouths off continually about how government regulations and excessive taxation have made the American economy uncompetitive. Self-serving bullshit. Keeping kids out of coal mines, asbestos out of our respiratory systems, and carcinogens out of our foodstuffs doesn't stand in the way of anyone making an honest profit from an honest product. As for the tyranny of taxation, we are the least taxed of the developed nations, and taxes have never been this low since the mid-50s. We have not slipped in the world rankings for new businesses opened or per capita GOP. Where we have fallen like a stone is in the number of engineers and scientists we're graduating. Our math scores are pitiful, and our graduates speak neither a second language nor have much facility writing a decent paragraph in their mother tongue. Our educational infrastructure is in a shambles. Teachers are woefully underpaid and stifled by a bloated, brain-dead bureaucracy, and our students leave college crippled with debt, larger, in fact, than all the monies we owe on our credit cards. What would it take to forgive this debt, bailing out our graduates so they can enter the workforce and serve the Commonwealth unburdened by this extraordinary load, just as we bailed out the predators and con men on Wall Street so they might return to the bourse and prey on us weak hands? I'm sad to say that the will to champion education and the educated is not in Washington. 
certainly not in the recently transformed Republican Party. In 2010, the Congress was invaded by a horde of know-nothings who fear real science, critical thinking, and reasoned, informed discussion. More members than I wish to number of that august body believe the Earth is 5,000 years old, global warming is a plot of corrupt scientists, vaccinations sicken rather than heal, the Federal Reserve is a tool of the Illuminati, and our president is a crypto-Kenyan Muslim socialist. As long as that gang of rabid anti-intellectuals control the House and stymie the Senate with their reckless and cynical use of the filibuster, we have no hope at all of coming to terms with our educational crisis. But cleaning out the bourgeoisie in Washington will mean nothing if we remain among the bumper crop of American couch potatoes, our eyes glued to the mindless and trivial dumb show played out daily on our remarkable, ever-expanding flat screens. TV or not TV, that is the question. And we, dear friends, are the answer. Happy New Year.